Welcome back to the Women Who Roar podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Tiffany Sapita, author and podcast host. Tiffany is well-versed in psychology, and she's passionate about helping people develop practical tools to cultivate a successful self-image. As a missionary and entrepreneur, Tiffany's heart is to give back and bring hope to others, and that has spurred her not only to minister through youth and international missions, but also to work as a PR director in sales and marketing. Her love for writing and sharing her story, which I think you're going to really benefit from today, has driven her to write the book Power of Pain, and she's reached it and recently launched the corresponding podcast. So Power of Pain is a series of books designed to empower others in their journey of life. She currently empowers inventors in real estate and tech industries, and loves to spend time with her husband and four boys, too, who are twins. Today's interview is a little bit lengthy, but I wanted to keep it because it's super juicy and there's a lot of information in there that I think we can all benefit from. So in today's interview, we talk about gaslighting, how toxic elements of religion can play a role, infidelity, pornography, addiction, and how to heal from all of those things. I think you're going to love it. So listen up. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited for your interview today. I think you have just this presence that makes people feel comfortable. And so I'm so excited to chat. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to dive in. And I love what you're doing about just sharing everyone's stories and talking about some real things that not everyone talks about. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate your bravery and really everyone's bravery who has been a guest because I know that it's for a lot of women, one thing that has been even more emphasized to me in this process is a lot of women feel very scared about sharing their story, but I really believe we heal through shared story, which I talk a lot about. So speaking of stories, give us a little context, a little idea of your relationship history with toxic relationships and your story with toxic relationships. Yeah. So it actually goes all the way back to my childhood, believe it or not. And I really believe a lot of people's stories stem from some sort of aspect of childhood because that's all we know. That's what we were brought up in. And even when we want to change, a lot of times we naturally are drawn to what is familiar, even if it's a little better, but it's still not great. And that's kind of my story. So I grew up in an abusive home. My biological dad was an alcoholic and very verbally, physically, emotionally abusive. I mean, I would see him literally grab my mom's head, slam it into the shower. And I I was the one that protected my sister. So I'm the oldest in my family. So I grew up watching that dynamic. And even as a young kid, you know, that's not safe. You know, that's not healthy. And you watch your, you know, your mom or your parent do everything they can to try to be brave and try to protect you, but also survive. So fast forward, they ended up getting divorced. My dad ended up passing away when I was 12. And that was a hard time, but in a weird way, it was almost a relief. And I know that sounds kind of morbid, but just having to deal with that trauma or the, we had to do, what do you want to call it? Supervised visitations with him, like through the court. And so to have those end just because I knew how he was, was a relief for me personally to not have to be in that kind of toxic environment, even as a child. Well, then years later, my mom got remarried and that was a lot better than what my biological dad was like, but it wasn't great. So even though there wasn't a whole lot of physical abuse, there was a ton of 
emotional and mental and verbal abuse and manipulation and yelling and screaming and just really like scare tactics, things like that. So growing up in that, I went, I lived in that all the way until I, I got married, honestly, like to my first husband. So being in that kind of environment, I think I knew I did not, it actually made me afraid to date. And so I was not the girl that dated through high school. I did not even date in college. In fact, my first husband was the one that I can say I truly dated, you know, mm -hmm. and then he was the one that I married. So with that said, I think that drew me to want to find something better. I wanted to be in a relationship that was healthy. And that was my biggest hesitation for dating or even being in a relationship in general. And with that said, it drew me to somebody that looked a whole lot better than what I was used to experiencing or seeing. You know, this individual was a lot more passive. And so to me, coming from a home where you have a lot of yelling and you have a lot of anger and a lot of rage and, and that sort of dynamic, it's like, wow, I remember literally thinking when I met him, this is like amazing. Like this is nothing what I grew up in. And so to me, it almost gave me a peace. And I think that was the draw. But there were also a lot of familiar traits that were unhealthy because I didn't recognize it. I, I just grew up in it, but it looked better. That also, I think, drew me to him with that familiarity feeling. And so that's really my background, I think, of what has drawn me into, yeah, that maybe not so healthy dynamic. Well, thank you for sharing about that. I think a lot of women who end up in unhealthy relationships do have a history of trauma. And so I think they will relate with that a lot. Do you think, I feel like sometimes when you have, when we have a history of trauma as women, when we're in relationship, we are so afraid of being abandoned or being lost at really a subconscious level. It's not something we're processing in our minds. Sometimes we can almost put expectations on a relationship, like convince ourselves that this is the one or feel an expectation for that relationship to end in marriage or commitment or partnership because we are so afraid of loss. Do you feel like there was any of that in your first relationship? Or do you think you just didn't catch signs early enough? I honestly think I didn't catch signs early enough. I think after post all of that, going through a lot of therapy, I even went through a lot of therapy during my marriage, believe it or not. And I, I learned so much about myself. And I think I also learned so much about my upbringing and what I needed. But I will say this. I never had a good father figure in my life. And so that was something that I knew inside. Now, I have a really strong relationship with the Lord, and that's always been my driving fact. Like, I've always looked at God as my father, and he's the one that has taught me everything because I never felt like I had that physical father. And so I do remember going into my, you know, former marriage, I really wanted to be loved, not by him like a father, but I just wanted a human, like a physical human to be able to show me that kind of love from a man. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with your relationship with the Lord, it's not so tangible. It's more so spiritual. And he puts people in your life and things like that. But I think that is something I was craving. But I would say to answer your question overall, I really think I truly was so naive. And I was just looking for something better than what... I had seen and grown up with and a lot of the things I was looking for aligned, but I will say there were a couple check marks 
on my like list of requirements that didn't align and I I disregarded that and that's that's on me you know I should I think looking back I'm like man those were actually some pretty big things that if I were to redo it I would do things different yeah well you, you did redo and we'll talk we'll get to that but you bring, <laughs> up, you bring up something really interesting and that sometimes when we have toxic attraction there's a familiarity to it we're attracted to something that's familiar but maybe in a way that has a little bit of a different wrapping paper on it so tell us a little bit more about what were the traits that were familiar in this person that you were attracted to that maybe weren't healthy even though they looked healthier at the time so i was looking for someone that was a leader that was a big thing for me so growing up i saw the negative side and the unhealthy side of being leader which is very demanding very controlling you will or else you know those types of things and i was looking for somebody that was going to be healthy and more of like a godly and even spiritual leader because i even felt like in my home I was on more of the spiritual leader of the of the whole family, even as a child. And so I really wanted to be able to have a partner that I could talk with and communicate with, but could all I could trust enough to lead me in a lot of things. I didn't want to have to be the only one all the time because I felt that I think a lot of times as a kid and I saw the unhealthy side of that from the grownups, you know, from my parents. So I think for me, that was a draw because the time he was in, involved in a lot of leadership things, he was also involved in the leadership side, even in the church aspect. And so those were attractive to me and they looked good because I was like, oh, well, he's a leader in this and that, you know, I, I'm seeing him interact with other people. And so I think that was a bit, that was one of the biggest draws looking back, something that was unhealthy, but I was looking for the healthy version. The other, another thing would be, I think with money, and this is a huge aspect of our former marriage that I'll talk to you about, but just to give a little glimpse, so growing up, that was a huge problem. There were constant fights around finances and the control of money, and it was very extreme. And so I think I kind of bypassed that red flag because I wasn't married to where we're sharing those finances yet you know so in the dating and the friendship phase and then the engagement phase you, it's it's kind of hard to navigate how that is or what it's going to look like but I did want somebody that was knowledgeable and really smart in that area and he was and is you know so I kind of trusted okay this is going to be better he doesn't seem like you know a b and c from you know my stepfather or from my dad so I think those were some some big things. And the other thing too, is I, I felt very swept off my feet. And I saw that in the beginning with like my mom, you know, that was kind of her experience with my stepfather and my biological father. And then it changed once she got married. And that is a very similar story to me. And I think that was hard to identify, you know, if it, if they're being honest, because I, I try to look at people as well, at least back then, not anymore. But I, I try to look at people more like face value and as like, oh, this is, you know, and, and I was just very vulnerable, always had my guard down. And I learned, I think, the hard way through this process and all the things that kind of came with the process, even going through a divorce, that you can't live that way and be healthy. So I think, I don't know, that's kind of a long-winded thing, but the money, a big thing, being swept off your feet, like, charming and then another one would be leadership i saw those things but i think they were kind of 
twisted into something different later on. Yeah, well, I think you bring a couple really good points of things that I consider yellow flags that women should assess for in their relationships. And if you're relating to someone that way, it can be a flag for potential toxic, toxic dynamic. One of them is, and I talked about this in my interview with Dr. Julia Britz, is how money, how someone relates to around money can actually be a big indicator of their control issues because money, money can provide power. It can, it can change uh, control dynamics in relationship. And so people who want to control you, there tends to be a lot of conflict around money. So that's one yellow flag. And the other would be kind of, I think as, as women, especially women who've gone through trauma, we, when we're entering in toxic relationships, one of the things that can contribute that is sometimes we delegate things we don't feel confident about to a partner. So if you didn't feel super confident in finances, or maybe you didn't feel super confident in your, how you showed up in the world. And so you're looking for a stronger leader. Sometimes we think, oh, this is really great. They can handle this. They can protect me in that way. And sometimes it draws in people who are really controlling. And then, of course, you brought up the being swept off your feet, which I really want to talk about because uh, love bombing is kind of the the trendy phrase for that. And love bombing would be where somebody comes in and they basically get you engaged and enmeshed in relationship with them at a very early stage by being very romantic. So it seems like too good to be true. It seems like a fairy tale. They tend to idolize you, put you on a pedestal. A lot of times they're going to drop the L word too soon. They may pick you on really romantic trips or over-the-top grand gestures. And the, a lot of people don't realize, and this happened to me, I was victim of this. So I, I'm not judging anybody who has been through this, but it's actually a form of control. And they can control you in relationship by creating this almost fantasy. And of course, eventually that bubble bursts. But tell me more about like, what it was like to be swept off your feet, how that changed your view of the relationship, how you were love bombed. Yeah, that's good. So for me, it's a little different. So there was no grand gestures in the sense of big trips and things like that, because when you're in college, you are pretty much broke. So we ended up spending a lot of time together, doing a lot of walks or going to the park or doing a lot of like doing lake days, like more free types of things. Uh But I will say, I think the way that I felt heard and the way that I felt accepted for all of me, that was a huge, huge thing in the beginning. Like I I remember telling him, like, I've never met anybody that loves all of me, you know, like you do. And I think a big part of that too was I was so used to being in a home where I had you know, fathers that would say or imply things that you are not either good enough or something is always wrong, you know, and you never really feel loved. You feel like it's very conditional. And so for me, I felt very swept off my feet emotionally Hmm. and I felt very swept off my feet, even spiritually, as kind of strange as that sounds, because we started doing a lot of like even prayer times together. And so to me, I was like, wow, well, if we're keeping God the center of this, then this has got to be good or this is, you know, has to be right. And that was always a huge thing for me. Like I wanted the Lord to be the center of my relationship and not just my life, but us together. And so 
I think how he went about those things, that's kind of what made me feel very charmed. And then not just that, like he would give me those little nicknames, those pet names, like week one after meeting him, you know, like, and I've never had that before. And I always thought, I remember thinking, man, that's really soon, but maybe he just really feels that way about me. And so those types of things, it almost makes you feel like, I don't want to say they own you because that's pretty strong, but like, oh, you're theirs, you know, and when you're in that dating phase or that getting to know, and this was all before we considered ourselves officially dating, by the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you're in that phase, I think you're so filled with euphoria, so to speak, because it's something that's so different than what you're used to. And they seem so genuine that and maybe at the time it was and it changed. I don't know. I am not him but for me in my experience and in my opinion I really felt like things had shifted dramatically once we said I do so the whole process because honestly the dating and the engagement times were some of the best times of of my life I feel like I had so much fun I mean he would plan things like little scavenger hunts or different things that were so creative and very heartfelt throughout our time together in like the dating phase and in the engagement phase and I've never had somebody go out of their way to do stuff like that so for me it was more not so much the money and the luxury but more so the emotion or going out of their way to really try to show you that you are important and that they're like all about you and that they love everything about you and they just want to sit and listen I never had a guy want to do that so do you feel like he did it to a degree that was obsessive or aggressive compared to like a healthier relationship? Or do you feel like it was kind of standard? I don't know. I feel like it was, I feel like for me, it was what I had expected because I feel like growing up, you're, especially as a female, I feel like a lot of us are taught about this whole Prince Charming. Mm -hmm. And so... I felt like I was in a fairy tale. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is like you, you really have someone that's all about you because growing up, it was not that way. It was like they were always annoyed, you know, with my sister and I and with my mom and everything was an issue. And so to be having an experience that's opposite of that, to me, I felt like, wow, maybe this is what, you know, real healthy love is. And I truly remember thinking that. So I don't know because I didn't date a whole lot, you know, before that at all. He was really my first official boyfriend, if that's what you want to call it. I had like gone out here or there with friends, but never dated, dated somebody and had a boyfriend. So it's hard for me to say if it was over the top. I don't probably feel that way because I don't feel like we went on these extravagant trips, everything like that. But I do feel like it was maybe what I had expected it shouldn't look like. And I think that was the draw for me. Like I'm getting what I had expected. Yeah. So what did the timeline of dating and getting married look like for you guys? And looking back, do you feel like there were warning signs of that the relationship was going to turn toxic that you missed? Yes. So going back in time, it was very fast, which I will also say. So this may not be everyone's experience, but this was my experience. Growing up in the church, which I love and I have nothing bad about that, love Jesus very much, but I will say there is a huge push, and I've seen it even today, for young people to get married very quickly. And I really feel like that was the norm. 
And so for me at that time, that was the norm. Like you date someone first, you know, three months, six months, you know, they're the right person. They're both Christian, get married. And so that was my story. And so I felt like that was okay. I felt like that was healthy and that was what was normal because that's really what everybody kind of did that I grew up around in the church setting. So with that said, we had dated for six months. We were engaged for three months and then we got like we were married. So nine months total. I had only known him and I had never met his parents until we were already engaged. So I feel like looking back, there was a lot of things, which I have done different because I remarried, but I would have done different and would probably never have been in that situation. Just because one, I never got to see the other side, you know, their their real home life. Like I visited one time, I think for like a couple of days, but you never really get to know their upbringing. You never really get to know the other side of their family, like who raised them, you know? And so to meet them so late, that I think was a red flag and there. It wasn't a good mesh to this day. They are not fond of me. And it was a really rough relationship even through our marriage. So, and that made me sad because I had always wanted to have in-laws that I felt very appreciated by and taken in by like I was their other daughter and in my opinion, it was never that way. So with that said, I feel like that was a red flag. Everything was like that. The other thing was when we had told both of our parents, oh, we're, we're engaged. We're getting married. There was a lot of hesitancy on both sides. And I think that was something that I had missed instead of taking heed to that. Cause you know, like my mom knows me better than anybody and his mom would know him better than, you know, anybody else. I think listening to that. And I even had a couple pastors not really approve of us getting married. And I think being so young and naive, you know, you're always like, oh, well, they don't really know them like I do. And that was a big thought that I remember having. And the other, another thing that I would say too is, and this kind of fed into our marriage was balance. There was real, there was not a lot of balance in our relationship, even in our dating and our engagement. I was the one doing a lot of the like laundry or the cooking or I mean everything. There was no help, no willingness, even when we weren't married. And that did feed into uh, our marriage dynamic too. So there were a lot of little things. Same thing with like buying things. We rarely went on paid dates because it was too expensive, which I understand like you're tight in college, but it also didn't really make sense that it also fed into our married life when we both have full-time jobs making decent income. So I think looking back, there were some of those things like the money, the responsibilities. A lot of things were really put on one party versus it being a mutual thing, the relationship dynamics with families, you know, and, and extended families. And also just everything was put off. And he also, I will say, was not, he almost seemed hesitant to want to get married once we were engaged. And I, I honestly don't know why to at this point, but I think that should have been a red flag to me that it might, I don't know, something, something's going on here. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about this. So I don't know. I feel like that was an inconsistency. Yeah, well, you brought up a lot of really good things. One is that I'm glad that you had a good experience growing up in the church. I would say, although I, I consider myself a follower of Jesus, a mystical Christian, 
I I don't have very glowing reviews about the church. And I do have an interview with my mom where we talk about how kind of Western theology that really has kind of strayed from what I think Jesus really came to teach us kind of serves women up on a platter and puts them in a really vulnerable position to be misused by men in a lot of the ways that you mentioned. So if you are listening to this and you resonated with that, definitely check that out. The other thing is I think one pattern that comes up a lot of my interviews is everybody else sees something about this person, but we feel like, and I'm going to say we, because I had the exact same experience in my toxic relationship, we feel like we're the only one who really sees who this person truly is and we just know the good sides of them. So that's another really big pattern. And another pattern that you brought up that seems to be really common is that a lot of times these people will come in with this just emotional fairy tale type of love. They're obsessed with you. But then when relational milestones come, like moving in together or getting married or, you know, whatever it is, then all of a sudden they're withdrawing. There's this kind of anxious avoidant attachment pattern there for those who are familiar with attachment stuff. So really interesting. But let's like rewind, or I guess we're not really rewinding because those are the early, early warning signs, but you weren't seeing them at that time. So you, you're feeling the love, you get married, everything seems perfect. What happens next? How did things change? Yeah. So everything, we got married and this was another red flag, which looking back, I definitely would have picked up, I think, if I was a lot more knowledgeable at the time. But so we had lived in a different state than where we live now. And we, the week after we got married, we moved states, like left every like buddy behind. We little, I lived on the West Coast, moved to the East Coast. So I left all of our friends. I had to give up my job. I was getting a promotion for his job. When he actually did get a job where we were living, you know, he, but he chose to take one out of state. So that's my red flag is isolation. I really felt like that was a huge thing because when you are newly married with someone that you haven't even been with a full year and then you move completely to somewhere different, you're giving up your job, you're giving up what you love to do, you're giving up almost everything, you know, for love. And that's what I did because I thought that was the right thing to do is to like support your husband, to follow them. Looking back, I would have done it very differently just because you have to have self-worth. And I think for me, I didn't realize that wasn't self-worth, putting somebody else almost more on the pedestal to where you give up everything you love for them. Yeah. And it really, it totally changed my life. I mean, I'm here. I got divorced. I share custody. I can't leave this state without my son. And, you know, so even to that point to this day, that is still repercussion I am living with. So with that said, we got married. We moved states. It was the most lonely, depressing time. The first year was really hard because everything shifted. That euphoria feeling, that being in love really started to fade away. And instead, it was more so a, I don't even know how to explain it, but it, it became more serious. And he was very about money. And now that we're both having full-time jobs, bills got kicked in, which I understand things can be stressful, but it became another level. And so I started seeing these sides come out and uh, this attitude come out that I had never seen before. And I remember thinking, I think I made a mistake. And because of my belief system that I was raised with, 
in the church and seeing what my mom had gone through. And I really didn't want to repeat the pattern of divorce. I really felt like I had to stick it out. So I did that. So I did whatever I could to try to make peace, to try to serve him, to try to make everything, you know, be happy and smooth, like whatever it took. And I did. And so anyways, fast forward a few years, this is still going. I I really wanted to have a baby. Um, he did too. Couldn't have kids for like three years. We had been trying. And then I really started praying. I was like, Lord, I, I really want to be able to have a baby if that is your will. And so sure enough, a few months later, end up getting pregnant. It was like total miracle. And I really had hope that it would change and get better. Like we would be able to be more of a team, more of a dynamic. And it, it just didn't turn out that way. It actually became worse. <laughs> so we, and that's when we ended up getting our separation and going for a divorce when our son was really little. So, but throughout those stages, there was a lot of red flags and a lot of things that were coming up. We even, whenever we were out with people, there'll be a lot of digs about me. That would be like the center of a joke. And then everyone else just kind of laugh it off because they don't know what to do or how to respond, you know, but that subtle manipulation or the twisting of words, anytime you want to have an open conversation, the words get twisted back onto you like it's your fault when you all, you're like, how did, wait, how did this get back on me? You know, that was a lot of the time, our dynamic. And there was a lot of distancing too. Um, and I just couldn't figure that out. I remember spending a lot of time like, Lord, what is going on? Like, I feel like I'm doing everything I can to keep this together, to try to love him the best that I can. Like, I just like there's such a distance and I couldn't figure that out. And I think that went more into the other things that we'll talk about later on that you wanted to chat about. A lot of things just started coming up and I really felt like what that love that I, I shared with you and that being swept off your feet, you being there, everything in the very beginning before we got married, it shifted once we got married. And I almost felt like I was a trophy and not a partner. And that just continued to to grow to the point where he would be out so late most nights working and I would be asleep by the time he would get home. Like we would rarely even see each other. So it, it just became strange and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And not just that, you're away from everybody that you know and everybody that you love and trying to build a whole new life. So yeah, it was hard. It was really hard. It was not at all what I had envisioned a marriage to look like. And there wasn't a lot of people that understood. So I didn't feel like I could talk a lot about it either. And so so that was hard. Yeah. Well, isolation is a really key component of how partners in toxic relationships gain control. That was definitely a piece of my relationship. And I only bring that up because I really want to highlight some of the patterns that women that we don't always realize our first time around. And that's why we're sitting here telling these stories. And in my relationship, I would there were things I recognized as red flags, but I also there were a lot of green flags, right? And I would want to talk to people about these red flags. And he he wouldn't want me, he would say, you know, this person's wrong. You can't talk to that person because of this or this person because of that. And, you know, I don't want you telling my friends and or your friends and family where you are, where we're together and just all these little tiny things to disconnect you from your world. And I say, you know, they're your world and it gives them a lot more control. And it's interesting how you said you felt like it trophy because as you're talking and thinking, what do you think it was that triggered that switch in him that things changed so much when you get married, when you got married? But I do think with a lot of people who are, who are controlling and toxic, and I, I want to say people who are toxic in a gentle way, 
I think people, I never want to speak that as someone's destiny over them. I think anyone can change. If they choose to themselves, we can't change them. And I also think people who behave in toxic ways in relationship, there is a core of hurt there. And I think a lot of times when you're their partner, you see that and you want to love that. People who perpetuate toxic dynamics in relationships, they don't want to heal that a lot of times. And so it creates this dance. So I want to say that gently, but a lot of times people who are in toxic relationships, that's why we do see the intense pursuit and then the switches. You are like a prize or trophy for, for them. And in the early stages, it's this conquest and they're getting all this dopamine from pursuit and they they I think they are genuinely obsessed with you because their brain has this conquest but once they win the conquest they there's no interest they need somebody something new to feed their their supply so you did allude to everything kind of came to a head so tell me more about that I'm going to leave it to you to select the language you'd like to to describe that yes so for okay so things started to feel very off and I'll get as detailed as I can be here. I also have to be really careful how I word things and say things just because of privacy reasons and other, you know, people involved like him, my son, all of that. And I'm always, I always try to be really cautious of that. But I will say during the marriage, there were a lot of things that were really strange, sexually speaking. So I want to touch on this because I don't think a lot of people talk about this. And it's hard to find a space or a platform to even talk about these things. But I, it's a red flag and it should be a red flag because let me preface this man or woman, because my present husband has experienced this and all the things we're talking about with his previous wife. So it happens both ways, male or female. Women can be the love love bombers. Men can be the love bombers. Uh And it is a real thing. And I will say a lot of times in relationships, there's a lot of that sexually speaking too. So it was very strange because in order to please or satisfy, you know, my marriage, I had to do certain things for him. And I always had thought, like, you should love that person no matter what they wear, what they do, what they look like, you know what I'm saying, in order to have intimacy with that person, especially if you are in a Christian marriage. And I, I hate using the word, word Christian nowadays because I feel like it's just I don't meaningless is a powerful word, but it it has become very misrepresented. And so I was weaponized, I think. Yes, absolutely. Like your ex-husband misappropriate a lot of the concepts behind it to Mm -hmm. use God as a backing for their uncontrolling behavior, which is totally wrong. Yes. And that's not okay. (laughs) Not okay. No. Like for me, being that it was my first marriage and also my first relationship, and yes, I had saved my virginity for him. So I didn't really know any different. Like you're supposed to explore and experience things together, but it's one thing when that's a stipulation. Like you have to put a bra on to go have sex. Like that's that that's weird, you know, and that that makes you feel uncomfortable or like is there something wrong with me? But there are a lot like that's just an example, but there are a lot of different things like that that would happen throughout. And then there would be a, a lot of other times where there was just no interest and I couldn't figure that out either because that's like I feel like I'm, I remember telling him, I feel so weird. Like I'm the one driving this, you know, to try to keep the intimate part of our relationship alive. And, and I, that was so strange. I was like, how does it, how is their interest? And all of a sudden there's not. And then that really begins to diminish a lot. So that to me was a big red flag. Now, infidelity can be a lot of different things to a lot of people. Let me say that. 
I 100% believe even pornography is a form of infidelity 100% because you are getting aroused and having sex with someone else behind the screen, even through a text message, whatever that looks like. So there are a lot of things that came up, red flags that I noticed, like I said, just like even the, the sexual drive was different. There were a lot of our, our normal intimate relationship was really changing a lot. There was a lot of distancing, even just in conversation, like it was really hard to have a deep conversation. I felt like everything was very surface and I could not figure it out. And a lot of times I felt like I was the only one having a deep conversation. It made me feel awkward. Like, am I am I sharing too much, you know? And I, I'm like, wait, when you're in a marriage, you're supposed to be open about everything and anything, you know? And so there were those were some of the red flags along the way. Well, then things just really started to take a turn even more so after we had our son. So it was even more working late, even more being away, even more hiding of the phone, even more of these, all these types of things. And I would ask like, who are you talking to? And I'm open, like I, to this day, my husband has every single password I could have. We have 100% access to our phones. There should be nothing to hide. And that was a red flag to me. You know, there, why, why is there something to hide? And so I really prayed about that because I didn't know how to deal with that. And so I remember the Lord telling me, you just need to wait and I will reveal it. Don't approach it. And so I just listened to that. And I think that's a big thing I want to hone in on is sometimes I know a lot of people who just want to address things right away. There is a timing for everything. And sometimes you need to be wise with that timing because haste will make mistakes and it can also make things worse. So God always exposes the truth. And whether you believe in the Lord or not, <laughs> truth always comes out. So that's what happened. So I waited. We went to this church service and we were actually out of town at the time. And we went to this church service. We come out and he looks at me. He's like, there's something I have to tell you. And it all came out. So it came out on its own. But with that said, I think how I dealt with that, I was like, okay, well, we need to deal with this and we need to come up with a plan of action here. And that's exactly what we did. But then it happened again months later and that I'm I can't I can't give another chance to that you know and so that was kind of the biggest turn of our relationship because I, I, I how much can I put up with I know that sounds so bad but I was like I cannot raise my child to think that this is healthy and that was the biggest motivating factor for me because I grew up and I know what childhood trauma does. I know what being in an unhealthy environment and dynamic looks like. And I never wanted to pass that on to another generation. And we have the power to choose or to not choose what we want and how we want to lay that out for our children. And so with that said, I think that was the biggest thing for me of like, okay, something has to change because I, like you said, you can't change someone. They have to be willing. And that I think that was a really hard and devastating thing, especially as a, a woman who wasn't working full time at the time either, because I had recently had my kid. And so there was a lot of factors I had to really think about, okay, what am I going to do, you know, to move forward? Yeah. So I have a theory that women always know on a subconscious level that they're being cheated on. I think women almost never know consciously that they're being cheated on. But if you look back, you, I feel like we know it from an energetic level. So do you, do you feel like that's true? And if so, why? I think you touched on some indicators, but 
what are things that if they happened again, you would go, I would know that someone's cheating on me? Yeah. So absolutely, you know, you just get this gut feeling, but I think you always want to deny that because you love that person and you also feel in a weird way like this will look bad on me, you know, like maybe I, why am I not good enough or And I think as a woman, that can be a hard thing to come to terms with, to admit. And you have to put that aside to see the truth. And when you can put yourself aside to really see what is going on, I think that's when it it gives you clarity on how to deal with the situation. And it gives you the strength on how to deal with the situation and maybe what you need to do. It's never an easy thing. No one gets married to get divorced. I 100% did not get married to get divorced. And in fact, it was hell getting divorced and going through custody battle. And it's still to this day hell dealing with shared custody. It's not fun. and I don't wish it on anybody. But at the same time, I do believe that you have to know who you are and you have to know what you want and what you will and will not accept because other people will tell you what you will or won't accept if you don't. And I think that was the biggest thing I had to learn in not just my upbringing, but in my own personal experience in my last relationship. And so going back to answering that question, which is a great one, I think a lot of the indicators are distancing. That's the first one. It was so strange that to even just our conversations didn't seem very intriguing anymore. It seemed like things were just becoming further and further apart. We'd watch TV in separate rooms. Like he wanted to watch his sports and I'm like, he was never willing to change it to something that we both could watch or be interested in. And so I was so tired of like, okay, well, I'm not going to argue, you know, so I'll go over here. And that wasn't a bother. So that was weird. A red flag. Like if you're married and you want to be with someone and this is a constant thing, of course, every once in a while, everyone wants to watch their own thing. But if this becomes a constant thing every day, every weekend, that's a red flag. Like you should want to be with your spouse, you know, especially when you both work full time. So and we didn't have kids either. Most of our marriage. (laughs) So like you should want to spend time together. So that was a red flag. The other thing to do was just the secrecy. I felt like there was a lot of secrecy. I felt like I was the most open, not just in my communication, but even about my phone, about communicating who I was talking with, just because that's who I am as a person. And anytime I would ask a question or we'd be watching something, something would pop up, he'd like hide his phone. That was like a very abnormal behavior. So a lot of these little things I kind of started noticing over time, those are red flags. Those are not normal behaviors for someone who is very trusting, who is very honest and doesn't have anything to hide. And then when you pose the question and address it and they're not willing to answer that, (laughs) that's another red flag. So those were some things that in my situation I had experienced. And then the other thing I would say in the bedroom, like sexually, you will notice changes. One, if you know anything about pornography or people that are addicted to it or people that are cheating or or whatever it is that someone's doing or any, if they're finding any other means outside of their marital relationship to be satisfied sexually, I'll put it that way, that is a form of infidelity. And it's a huge red flag when they cannot perform, I guess is the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that becomes a constant thing. That's not normal because if you know the male body and the way the male body works, it does take a few days to build up, but you should be able to 
perform, especially in your 20s. And especially if you are having sex maybe once or twice a week, you 100% with your spouse should be able to. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it's happening twice a day or some of that and you're going to be unable to. So those were some big red flags too. I know that's probably a little TMI, but I do think it's important to talk about because a lot of people don't know about that and not a lot of people don't think about these things. But that was a huge like, hmm to me and I really remember thinking on that and that's that's when I really started praying like Lord something's going on because there was also not even an interest after that and so that was a shift too because I'm like wait a second like this isn't our normal dynamic and months prior it wasn't like you never wanted to you know so I don't know and then oh the other thing too is scheduling if you have to have it scheduled which I know everyone has a different situation and some people are really busy. I've heard of this, but if that, if it has to be that way all the time, I would say that's another red flag. Why? Because there's other days that other things are probably going on outside of just you guys being busy with your jobs. So that's another thing to look for. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's TMI at all. In fact, I think that's something that I'd like to bring up more, but there is this piece where the... Sex is another area, basically, where they where they can make a power play controlling partner. Mm-hmm. And so sexual dynamics can get really weird. I wrote a little bit about some of, in my toxic relationship history, some of my partner's kind of weird attitudes towards physical expectations in the relationship. And so I think that's a really good thing to highlight. Another thing you said that it was really interested in was that you didn't know who you were. And I think that is so huge because we often, when we don't have a sense of self, somebody with an inflated sense of self feels safe to us. And if you have a history of trauma, it's really normal to not know who you are because you can't, you became whoever everyone else in your environment wanted you to be in order to try and procure safety for yourself. So then you grow up, you don't know who you are, and you meet these people with inflated sense of self, and it feels safe to you. But then what happens is there is an expectation on you to basically continuously let yourself die in relationship your your desires your opinions all of that dies so that this other person can get fed and it feels like love at first but it's actually control and so tell me tell us about your process of healing and how you learned to know who you are and how that changed the way you relate in relationship yeah that's great that's a big one honestly I will see this before I got married the first time around. I was a very strong woman. I am a very strong woman in my nature, but I was very strong, very confident. I really know what I wanted. I was very driven. I knew exactly um, who I was and no one could mess with me. Like I knew my boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's actually very interesting because along my process of being in that unhealthy relationship, and that whole dynamic, it really, really is amazing when you open up yourself so vulnerably to somebody or to the wrong person, I would say, because of their maybe not so healthy motivation <laughs> behind love is the best way to put that. It can destroy even the strongest person and it can really break them down. And that's what happened to me. And I remember being in my relationship and I just remember thinking to myself, man, like I feel so weak. 
And I never thought in a million years those words would come out of my mouth. But there were a lot of these like passive aggressive comments that would happen like, oh, I feel like you just don't need me anymore. And anytime I would start to become strong again, whether it was I was doing great in my job, whether it was I'm an entrepreneur. So whether I was starting my own, you know, side business or working on something personally, like with personal growth, and I was excited about and I would share that that was a lot of times the comment or the types of comments that would come across like, I just feel like you don't need me anymore. So and it almost guilt trips you to feel like, oh, maybe you are not letting them be the person they're supposed to be in your relationship. Because going back to unhealthy church dynamics, like we've talked about, a lot of times it's taught that yes, man is over the the head of the house in a biblical standpoint but god if you take that out of context i feel like that's how it's been taught a lot because in context and i won't get too deep into the theology of this but if you're looking at it in context you're still supposed to be a partnership you don't get married to just be down with somebody because you're the head so to speak and i think a lot of times it's it can be perceived that way and so i felt like that became more of our dynamic so post all of this, I felt very weak and I felt like I couldn't trust my choices. I felt like I couldn't trust my decisions. I felt like any decisions I made were bad decisions because I thought that getting into this relationship was the right thing and then it turned out to be the wrong thing and I truly felt like I was being led the right way. And I think the biggest thing I learned was going to therapy is huge because it's important to have an outside party that's not your family, that's not your friends, but somebody that's completely outside of the situation to also assess it, to also assess you, to hear it, and to give you some really practical tools and perspectives to help you walk through that process because it's going to be different for everyone. And I think the timeline to healing is also going to be different for everyone and there's no timeline on it. So I think for me learning not to put a timeline on it because I'm someone that is kind of impatient with that stuff. Like, come on, I want to work through this. Mm -hmm. That was hard for me. So learning to be patient with myself in the process, learning that I'm not who other people say that I am, learning that it doesn't matter what the outcomes in court are. It doesn't matter what the outcomes of what people think of me in the church anymore because I really got shunned in that through getting a divorce. All these, other things, I lost all my friends and they became friends with Pim. So I went through literally this stripping process of feeling like I lost everything. And part of me felt like I lost my son because of having to do all the time sharing. And I I was the one that wanted him. I was the one with him all the time. I was the, pretty much a single mom, even though I was married. And you can ask anybody that was around. I was always the one doing everything with my kid and always the one at home. And so to all of a sudden not have that and only have that half the time because we share custody, it, that was hard. It was really hard. And so I think going through that process of learning that it's okay to let go of what was because if it was really meant to be, it would still be. And I think I really had to learn how to practically live that out and practically accept that, not just hear it and think of it. And so that was a huge part. And then the other part when it comes to trust, I want to touch on this is I was taught and told this way later on after my divorce. And it was like, man, I wish I was told this when I was a kid. But they said, you can be real without being revealing. And I think that to me 
changed my life because I was always so revealing to everybody the first time around. And when you are with someone, whether they are someone that is addicted to love bombing, narcissism, whatever that is, they look for those things. And my husband uh, right now, he has a background in criminology. So it's interesting. We talk a lot of these things. We have a background in psychology. So we talk about this a lot of this concept of when you're so vulnerable, a lot of people look for these traits. That is what they are pretty much addicted to. And it is an addiction form, like in your brain. It releases chemicals. And so when you're someone that is just so giving and innocent like me, you are a perfect target, like candidate, so to speak, for a, yeah. a person like that because they know they can play you. They know that they can do these things. You probably won't pick it up. And so that's what started happening for me, like through time. So healing from that emotional trauma, it is a lot of emotional and mental trauma that can take longer than physical trauma a lot of times because these things still live with you or these things can trigger you, you know? And so learning how to trust again was really hard because I think God really had to teach me, you cannot trust man, you can trust me. And when you stop relying on who you think is safe to trust and instead you ask me, bring the right people into my life and you start trusting that process instead, that is when it's going to work well. And so I started changing that mentality and started doing that post-divorce because I lost even my friends. And it's true. It works, man. Like I think like God has brought some of the most incredible people into my life post my divorce and even into my new relationship that are just, I never would have thought of it out of the random, most random places, even out of the grocery store, you know? And so it's, it's just really cool. I think when you stop making it about you and you trying to seek out these friendships or these relationships, whether you're in a dating mindset or a marriage mindset, or you're in just a friendship mindset and you instead leave that more to like the Lord's discernment, but also use your tools, he says, to also use wisdom and use your tools of what you've learned in the past, seeing the and understanding these traits, which I did a lot of therapy on, like how to see and spot a lie. I read the book. It's called Spy the Lies, written by an FBI agent. I recommend it. I'll, put, I'll link it. Yeah. And then also just learning the behaviors and studying even physical behaviors. You can read so much about a person and what they're by their body language too, outside of just their their dynamic with you. And so I think I I learned a lot of these tools and these tips that I had never known or heard of before, which is kind of what got me into that relationship. And so yeah, I think just after that, learning and being educated was one of the biggest healings for me. Why? It made me feel empowered to not be taken advantage of again. Two, it also allowed me to learn that I am in control of who I choose to trust. I don't have to just trust anyone. I think I kind of had that mentality of like, well, if I'm just being genuinely me, then I should be able to trust anybody. Like I have nothing to hide. But I think learning that you can't be that way with everybody. That's not wise. It's not safe. And there are a lot more people than there are good, unfortunately, in the world we live in today. And so you have to be really aware of who you're interacting and what you're sharing with. So being real, you can be real, but you don't have to reveal everything. And you will know in time that, that you can start revealing certain things or everything with the right people. Yeah. Well, you brought up a lot of interesting points in there. I think first I would say, I think, you know, you got gaslit, God gaslit. I think this is something that a lot of women get really hurt by, or I, I use the term women because I feel like 
a lot of what I talk about is female focused, but of course, it's like you said, it can go both ways, you know, and a lot of times people use God and religion to justify their control. And then that can be really hard for people who want to live a moral life or they feel like they're trying to do the right thing because they're suddenly being told you doing what's best for you is making God unhappy, which is not true, but it messes with your mind. And I think, you know, I think God wants us to be in healthy relationships. And I think he wants us to move out of relationships that aren't healthy. But that can be a really, that's just a whole other level of trauma and grief on top of, you know, moving out of marriage. Another interesting piece that you brought up is losing your friends. Because I feel like sometimes when we, when we're in relationship with toxic people, the dynamic we learn with them starts to kind of bleed out into our other relationships. Like, we will be what everyone expects us to be. And we think those people are our friends and then it takes something, it only takes us learning how to show up as ourselves to realize those people aren't our friends. They want us to be the fantasy that they think we are, just like in the toxic relationship, rather than who we truly are. And so when you go from this fantasy world where the whole world is held together by you meeting the expectations of all the supporting characters, to find yourself that you, when you return to reality, there's this huge loss that happens. And really, I mean, that's what my book is about, is finding yourself on the other side of that loss. So that's really beautiful. I know we have been a little bit over an hour, but if you are willing, I would actually like to take this interview over time a little bit because I want to look forward and you're remarried. You are in a happy marriage now, supportive spouse. And so I do want to just talk a little bit about that to pay the difference. So I'm curious how your current husband came into your life and what was different about him that made you feel like he could be trusted again? And then was there anything, were there things that made it difficult to trust again? Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I. So first I'll say this, I never intended to get married again, ever. I was 100% content just being a single mom. I know I was driven up. I had a good job at that time, thankfully, that I was able to make more than enough for myself and my son. But And my husband, he did not want to get married either because he had such a bad experience with women. So it's really funny how it all happened and kind of came together. But we met at work, actually, and I had known him like a little over a year before my divorce. So he was always a colleague and I knew that he was going through a divorce and he was the one person on my floor that also believed in God. So that's kind of how we met is we just started talking like more theology and I would always pray for him, you know, about his situation. It was really rough with custody sharing, too. And so and then when mine started happening, it was like he was that person that I could trust as a friend, that there was nothing there, but just know that he would understand because I didn't have family here. I didn't have any other friends. The church did not want to talk to me. In fact, the only reason they wanted to talk to me was to get me back together. In fact, I had multiple friends that were in the church and pastors even say, if you don't get to back together with him, I am not going to be able to be your friend because you're a bad influence. And that was so beyond hurtful. Like I just could not believe some of these people who I considered like sisters, you know, that knew everything about me. I, I was hearing this and I, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And so 
I literally was in a place where I just had nobody. And I felt like he was a godsend just to have an ear. Somebody that I knew was going through it had been there before me. And so I could kind of get some advice on like, how do I handle this situation? You know, and someone that I knew would genuinely pray. And so we had a working relationship. There was nothing there that was romantic or dating or physical or anything like that. So anyways, through time, we ended up developing more than a friendship because we just had so much in common. And I think it just kind of grew into more. And and the thing that was different about it is I felt safe with him because one, I also knew his background, which made me feel safe. So I was like, there's no way. And he also was in the military prior. So like, I knew with his background, like there's no way this person out of everything that he's gone through would want to do something to take advantage of me. Like it just didn't make sense logically. So that was one like on a logical front that made me feel okay. On an emotional front, there was no pursuit. I didn't feel like I was being pursued. I didn't feel like, like I did before where I was like, they're everything and they were chasing after me. And so it was a very different experience. And that also made me feel safe because I knew that I wasn't in his life for an ulterior motive. Does that make sense? And so like I had felt before. So just how everything went about was different. And then the other big thing too, is he accepted my son, like his son, like he truly wanted to take care of him and like have a heart for him like I had. And I had never met anybody that would be willing to do that to a kid that is not biologically theirs even before we were married, you know, like he just truly took him in, you know. And so that was a huge thing for me because I didn't have a good relationship like with my stepdad. And so I never wanted that kind of experience. But that was another reason why I said I wanted to stay a single mom forever (laughs) was really because of my kid. So with that said, a lot of these things were like green flags to me, not red flags or yellow flags. And we just took our time, I think, getting to know each other. And then we just knew, like, I knew I had such a piece about it. Like, this is the right person for me. And the other thing too, is he knew me, I think better than I knew myself. And I had never met somebody before ever, even more than my mom that literally can like, know what I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, and really understand me without me having to like over explain everything. And it was so easy. I just felt like our dynamic was so ebb and flow. To this day, we do not fight. Like do we have disagreements or things we have to talk out 100%, but there's no fighting. There's no yelling. There's no like (laughs) bashing. We never go to bed angry. Like we have such an easy ebb and flow on the same page dynamic. And if there's anything that we have to talk about, it's truly a miscommunication just because he's misinterpreting something that I say and vice versa. That's honestly all we have like a disagreement about. And so that also was something really different. Like I wasn't used to that, but all of these things were good things and they were night and day from before. And I think, like I said earlier, I want to touch on this, the pursuit. I think as women, we are taught that you're supposed to be pursued. And that's a good thing. I think we all want to be pursued. But I also think from my previous experience, there's a difference between being like overly pursued versus healthily pursued out of respect, you know. And so I felt like that was a huge difference from my first marriage to, you know, this marriage is 
there wasn't a pursuit like, oh, we got to go out every time. And hey, are you, you know, available this, that? And they're like, we just had more of this friendship for a while. But it was like, we also made it really clear our boundaries. And that was a big thing that I don't think I had ever done or heard of doing before, like upfront. You know, like we made sure we were just each other. We did not want to see other people. Like that was something we, because I have an issue with like, the whole cheating issue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was when we were getting serious, you know. But in regards to just boundaries of how we want to treat each other, how do we want to communicate? What do we want that to look like? You know, there were everything was very mutually agreed upon and lived out. It was not like, okay, we say this and then we do something different. And I felt like that was my last experience too. So I think just our communication was really good. Well, I want to highlight how different an experience it was. It was it's almost the opposite in that in the previous relationship were very pursued. Things went really quickly, whereas this one was slow. There wasn't a lot of pursuit. And I the reason I want to highlight that is I know we've talked about pornography. You did not explicitly state that this was going on, but I want to pick up on that dynamic. It is a component of a lot of toxic relationships. And I would say whether there's a pornography addiction or just an unhealthy relationship to physical sex with a real woman. A lot of times in these relationships, they uh, they can't connect intimately, but they want to feel connected. So they use shortcuts like being extra romantic. But then when the time for real connection, like having a baby or getting married together comes up, then they pull back because they they actually don't want connection. They want to feel connected without the work of it. And it's kind of the same thing in the sexual dynamics where it's if I can have this fantasized experience and you're willing to be the trophy in that, or if I can go and watch this on a screen, then I get this quick feeling of connection without actually having to do the work of connection. What happens is then they relate to women and not just women, but I think a lot of people in their life as possessions. And so sometimes the pursuit and them wanting to know everything about you, it's not about you. It's about possession. And I really like how you said, in your relationship with Nelson, there were boundaries. And I think that's a really good way to test whether someone is love bombing you or truly pursuing you is that's some boundaries. Don't say yes all the time. Don't lay every, don't bear your heart right away. Even if it feels like this person wants it, it can hold it. Set some boundaries to see how they respond because you're never going to get a good response from a person with intimacy connection issues when you set a boundary. So it sounds like there were a lot of green flags in your relationship with that actually made it a lot easier to trust. Mm-hmm. Am I hearing that? Yeah. Right. Okay. So when did you guys cross over into romantic territory? What, what was that process like for you? Yeah, we, so he ended up switching departments at work because there's like a whole rule about that. And that's when we decided together that we wanted to become like boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, and we wanted to go forward into that. And he, the thing that I loved about him too, and he would say this if he was on an interview with <laughs> you as well, but he had told me, he said, even from the very beginning, like, but when he told me, he's like, he's very honest. I think that's the biggest thing I loved is I have never met someone so honest in my life. Truly. Like he doesn't even care if it hurts your feelings. He's honest. And I really love that about him. Because I th- think I was so used to like a lot of secrecy or like manipulation, like half truths. You know, like you never could really read a situation. And so to me, that was very refreshing. But he had said, if I don't tell you 
then I'm going to be lying to you or to myself. He's like, but I do love you. And I don't expect you to say that back to me. And he's like, and I'm willing to sit on the bench for as long as it takes until and if you're ever ready to take that next step with me. And so I loved that because he truly didn't just say it like he respected that. So once we were ready to like enter into that and he had switched apartments, that's when we just started dating you know and so we lived in separate places that was really healthy obviously coming from our own backgrounds and really just took our time like we would go on dates once a week but we would also like have lunch together a couple times a week because of work you know and so it just kind of grew from there and then we ended up getting married and that was really awesome. And my son was in the wedding. And so it was, we just made it a very intimate thing. I think I did this, the whole big wedding thing the first time. And I did not want that. He didn't want that. Like we truly were just wanting to make it official for us and our families. And so that's what we did. And it was a really intimate, sweet time, just us. And we've just been growing strong ever since. Honestly, I do feel I truly can say this time around, I feel like I'm more in love with him as the years go on. And I never had felt that way before. And I remember thinking, man, is this what marriage is like? You know, do people are people just married because that's what they committed to, but they don't truly fall more and more in love with each other because you always see that in movies or read that in these books. And that just was never my experience. And I didn't feel that from the other person either. So like, it never was reciprocated. So, I, so, oh, so go ahead. I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I want to zero in on this for a minute here before I ask you the last question, because I think, oh, for a lot of women coming out of a toxic relationship, it can feel scary. A lot of, a lot of us like to have time after to just not be dating. And when feelings for somebody new arise, it can be scary. It can even be something we want to shut down. So I want to really zero in on when you realized that you were actually having feelings for beyond friendship. Yeah. So I, I knew that I liked him as a person. I knew I respected him. I knew I loved him as a person just because I really cherished his character and who he was and his heart after getting to know him. But I think switching over to that, I was in a place where I think I had been hurt so much that I had my guard up and I knew that I was never going to allow myself to be in a position where that would my heart would get shattered again. <laughs> like I just would not allow that. And I think I was in a place more of him feeling empowered this time of that I'm in control of who, how much of my heart I open up. And so I knew how much of my heart I was going to open up, but I also had the thought in the back of my head that if this doesn't work out, I know I'm okay. And I know that I will be just fine being a single mom because that's what I've been doing. And so I didn't go into it because I needed to be with someone, if that makes sense. I went into it and I feel like I did that the first time around my first marriage. Mm -hmm. This time it's like, I've already been through that and I know that I'm okay on my own for real. Like I've been there. So this time I know that I'm willing to take the risk and I'm willing to open up my heart a little more because I've seen that it's been so good so far with just the friendship side. And so, yeah, I decided to go and open that up like a year into that. And then because I did that, 
we got married, did we get married? Like nine months later. So we were engaged for like nine months. Yeah. But I really just knew and I feel like honestly, I feel like because I learned so much from my first experience, it prepared me a lot for my next marriage because I knew that how to gauge it, if that makes sense. I think I was too open, too vulnerable the first time, like you were saying, all in, where this time I was like, okay, I know I can give a little and a little and a little and and you are supposed to do that, you know, and you don't just dive all in like we're told sometimes. It's okay to give a little and see how that's treated. And so I think that was the approach I took this time, but I didn't have as much fear because I knew that I had already been through the ringer the first time. And I, I really felt like I'm in control of how much I'm going to allow myself to be known or exposed, if that makes sense. And I allowed myself the time of when I'm going to continue to open up more and more and more. And it helps having him also have those boundaries that we talked about and being willing to be patient and wait because he knew that I was going to be going through a process after a divorce because he's already been there. You know, so I think it was helpful to have someone that understood that, that I didn't have to explain that to. I was willing to be patient through through that with me and not take that personal because going through a, a divorce is very traumatizing, especially if you have a child involved and especially if you lose a lot of people along the way, which most people do. It's it's honestly, I think, worse than death, truly, because I have had my father die <laughs> when I was a kid and it was, it's way more grieving going through a divorce than than anything else because you have to live with it like I still have to live with interacting and speaking with him and all of that because of shared custody yeah well such a powerful insight that one of the major differences was that you were going into a relationship because you found somebody who had healthy qualities to bring to a relationship rather than you needed somebody to make your childhood wounding okay that really was that was a big piece of the failure I think of my past relationship was I really boiled it down to I felt really bonded to this person because they were loving childhood wounds that I needed to heal in healthier ways and so that's a really powerful insight you have so much wisdom so thank you so much for sharing it I'm sure we could talk for hours more but if I know you're an author you're a podcast host so you have plenty of resources if people want to learn more about you so tell us about the work you're doing to help people recover from things like what you have been through and where people can find you. Oh, thank you so much, Charles, for having me. I really appreciate it. And you have a powerful story as well. And yes, I am an author. I did write a book, The Power of Pain. So you purchase it. And it's the perfect size, too, by the way, for like your purse or a diaper bag or if you just want to take it to work. We did that on purpose. But it's just an all-encompassing book to help anybody on any season of life, not just if you've been through a severe trauma, maybe you have disappointment, broken dreams, broken relationships. It could be it could be anything. Addictions, you know, how do you start and how do you work through that journey of healing and allow that pain? Because everyone has pain to some extent in their life and some people have it and don't recognize it. And I think that was something that I realized even in my own journey and and it attracts us to certain things. And yeah. so how do you walk through and navigate that process? And that's what this book is all about is just taking, sharing a lot of my story throughout the pages, but also taking someone kind of start to, I don't want to say finish because everyone's process is different, but 
allowing you to navigate and step-by-step walk through that process in a very practical and tangible way to heal and allow that pain to become very empowering, to allow you to live the life you were designed to live instead of being stuck in a pain or in a disappointment or a trauma or addiction or whatever that is. So that's what the whole book is about. It's a series. And so every book is going to come with a different topic. Our next one's going to be on finance and just how to really grow in those areas. I think that's another topic that's not talked about and mistaught a lot. And so we really want to bring all of these topics in general to the surface and then really make them powerful and applicable for anybody. And then we started a podcast. We just launched our first episode this month. Yeah, earlier this month. And so with that said, we'd love for you to join in. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's also on Spotify, but it's called The Power of the P Podcast. And that is another platform where you can hear just from a really raw standpoint our stories and then you can also we eventually want to hear your stories and just grow like how how can you have a space that you talk about things that maybe not a lot of people talk about and how do we learn and grow together through those things and so that's kind of what that that space is for it's just a, a platform to really empower other people regardless of what stage or season of life they're in and then obviously I have an Instagram and Chelsea, you do too, but Classic and Taylor is my Instagram handle. And I'm sure Chelsea will put a link or something like that there, but you can always follow there. I try to do a lot of different resources throughout and just share daily life. All right. Well, I will link your Instagram, your podcast, your book, as well as some of your website, as well as some of the other recommendations that you made throughout our conversation. So thank you again so much for this meaningful conversation. I know so many women are going to benefit from it. So thanks again. Thanks, Chelsea, so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm on a mission to help protect women from toxic relationships by supporting them and recognizing the signs. I also want to help women heal from toxic relationships by letting them know they are not alone. The stories and conversations I share on this platform and in my book, Losing You, Finding Me, are designed to do just that. I'd love for you to help spread this mission by subscribing to this podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. Also consider picking up a copy of Losing You, Finding Me for a deep dive into healing from trauma and toxic relationships. Until next week.